How's it going? My name's Tim. I am on uh, staff here at Hillcrest. Get to teach. Uh, really enjoy it. Um, we, this morning, are starting a new teaching series. Do we have that? There we go. Life on Mission. So, um, this fall, the next couple of months, uh, we're going to be talking about life on mission. We're going to be talking about uh, God's mission in the world, what God is up to, what his purposes are, uh, his, his missionary activity, how he's working through his people, and how do we participate in that well? What does it look like to cooperate, participate with God in his mission, kind of the nuts and bolts of it? Um, and this morning, we're starting it off. We're starting the series off. Uh, but we're also, uh, we've just last week wrapped up a multi-month study on the first 11 chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 11. And so, yeah, I had fun with that. So I thought, we're going to start a new series, but we're also going to use a text from Genesis, because I couldn't quite give it up yet. So I hope you, uh, so it's a little looking back, but also looking forward at the same time. Hope hope you'll have fun with that. Uh, So, question, when is a time you have been lost? Time you've been lost, and Think about a time you've been lost, and how did it feel, I mean, to be really lost? When I, uh, when I, was, in, uh, when I was in college, got to do a, a semester abroad uh, over in Israel, and then we get spent kind of two weeks um, touring around uh, Europe on the way home. And I got a couple of pictures here, me and, my, me and a buddy in the, the Swiss Alps. And uh, here's another. We're just marching around. That was like a, a, a shed locked up that we found our way into to spend the night in, and we, uh, so we just kind of, we spent our time, we didn't have a lot of money, just kind of spending our time around Europe, and then as the, as the two weeks went on, people kind of went off on these little mini adventures, and so with, the, with about three days left, I found myself in Switzerland alone, because other people had gone off to do other things, and had to make my way back to Vienna, Austria, that's where the plane was going to leave from in three days, and so I, um, in the wisdom of my years at that time, I, I didn't have enough money left to buy a ticket from Switzerland to Austria, all I had was cash, I didn't have a credit card or anything, and so I had heard that there was cheap trains out of Italy, so I thought, I'll just get myself to Italy, and then everything will be fine, so I bought a, bought a train ticket to Italy, end up, uh, end up in Milan uh, in, in the morning, go to the Milan train station, I'm like, Do you, you know, this is how much money I have, can I get to Vienna, Austria, and they said yes, and so I had like two dollars and change left, just enough to afford a ticket to Vienna, the train leaves that night at 8.30, so I hang out, hang out in Milan all day, just kind of kill some time. Wait for the train. Get on the train that night, 8.30, uh, overnight train to Vienna. And, and we're, we're, uh, we leave the station, and the ticket puncher comes by. Now, in the, my, my train experience up to this point, when the ticket puncher came by, if I was going to have to change trains at some point on my journey, the ticket puncher always said, now remember, you're going to have to change trains at such and such. So the ticket puncher comes by, doesn't say anything, so I think, I'm good. I just fall asleep. I'll wake up in Vienna. So I fell asleep, uh, you know, lean, out, lean against the, tr- the, the window. You've done the, like the car or window sleeping before, so my, my face is pressed up against the window, slobbering away. And uh, the next thing I know, someone is outside of the train, banging on the window that my face is pressed up against. And, uh, oh, what's going on? I wake up. There was a, a, a worker outside banging on the window. The train is empty. It is pitch black outside. I do not know where I am or what time it is. I don't have a watch. I don't have an iPhone. I don't sell nothing. So I get off the train. I try to talk to this guy. He speaks not a word of English. And I'm wandering around this train station, middle of the night. I don't know what country I'm in. I, I am lost. I have $2 in my pocket. 
I, I'm just, what? And it's, you know, my train leaves, my, my flight out of Vienna, it leaves on like two days. And I thought, what? And I just, and it's, you feel vulnerable. You feel like you don't know what to do. You feel scared. What am I, when, yeah, what am I going to do? I needed someone who knew where I was, who knew what was going on, and had the power to do something about it. I was lost. And we, we get lost. I mean, every one of us probably can identify with that feeling of literally being lost. But there's also other ways that we, we get lost in, in a metaphorical sense in this life. We get spiritually lost at times. There's a deeper sense times that we get lost. Times, times that we, uh, we feel disconnected, disconnected from community, disconnected who our identity. Who am I in this world? Where is my, where's my sense of family, my sense of friendship? I feel disconnected from those around me. What, am I, what, what is my purpose? Where am I going? What's the next five years going to look like? I feel lost or disconnected from God. There's been, there's been times, um, scripturally it says that every one of us um, starts out lost from God, disconnected from God, and in a big way, but there's also other seasons of life that we, we just find ourselves lost from God. I, I don't know, there's been times where I've laid in bed at night and said, God, where are you? God, I'm looking for you. Or really, maybe the deeper question I was asking, God, are you looking for me? I feel lost. We're going to look this morning at a story of a man um, who in many ways was lost. We're going to start in Genesis 11, verse 27, because we're going to pick up. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, way to the left. We'll be in chapter 11, towards the end, verse 27. Mm. And um, some of you are probably thinking, what happened? You know, the train story, how to end. It's very sad. I didn't make it. I, I, um, no, no. The train, somebody came and they said, okay, here's the train. Here's the one. They, they knew what was going on. They had the power to tell me where to go and they, you know, rescued me. So it worked out fine. Um, so let's see, Genesis eleven twenty seven. All right, this, this is how it starts. This is the account of Tara's family line. So genealogy, yeah, all right. Uh, this is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur is a city. Ur in the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. All right, pause there. I think we have a map. Yeah, there's Ur. It's in the same part of the region uh, near where Babel was. We talked about Babel last week. And so what we have so far, uh, we have a family, and we know there's, uh, there's a dad, Terah, and then three brothers, um, Abram, uh, Nahor, and Haran. And one of the brothers, uh, Haran, has died. And there's also a nephew um, that we read about uh, named Lot. All right. So this is what happens next. Abram, verse 29. Abram and Nahor, both... Married. So the two living brothers married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. So if you're, if you're following closely now, one of the brothers, Nahor, has married his niece. So there's that. And then... Um, <laughs> The other, Abram, we find out later, married this woman named Sarai, who turns out to be his half-sister. So watch out for those, those people from Ur. They're a little different down in Ur. Um, I don't really have... We're going to move on. So um, now, verse 30. Now Sarai was childless, 
because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. So they headed west towards Canaan, but when they came to Haran, a city different than Haran the brother, they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. All right, so I want to focus on this character Abram. We have the family tree there. I want to focus on this character Abram and just kind of what do we know about him so far? So Abram is one of three brothers, um, Nahor, Abram, and Haran. And um, when they were living in their kind of their homeland, Ur, the, one of the brothers died. So Abram's lost a brother. Mm. And when it says Abraham there, that's the character Abram that we're reading about here. Um, there, uh, so, the, uh, so the one brother died, and then Abram, his wife, and his nephew Lot, whose dad is dead, who Abram seems kind of responsible for in some ways, and Terah, they have now moved from Ur, left Nahor and Ur, and they've moved, they headed towards Canaan, but they only made it as far as Haran. Haran is a five or six hundred mile journey by foot from Ur. Um, they didn't make it all the way to where they're going. I mean, their journey, it wasn't successful. They made it halfway there, made it Haran, and then they stopped there. So they're, they're immigrants living in Haran, they're living in a foreign land, but it's not where they wanted to go. I mean, so imagine, you know, it's like a family, uh, a family from Central America, and they're trying to make their way to the U.S., and maybe they make their way to Mexico, or they make their way to Tijuana, but they get, they get stuck there. They're not, they're not at their destination. They're stuck. So Abram's here, uh, living as a foreigner, uh, in a vulnerable situation in Haran. What else do we know about Abram? What do we know about his wife, Sarai? She was, in, she was infertile, or he was infertile, but together they were barren. They were infertile. They weren't having kids. And that's a, that is a difficult thing in our day and age. But what was it like back then? Was it a little deal or a big deal? It was a huge deal. In that day and age, it's honor-shame culture, highly shameful. And their, their, their actual physical security in the future, just, it depended on them having children, particularly sons, to take care of them physically in their old age. And there's all this pressure to pass on the family name. So it was this huge, they, were, they weren't able to have kids. And then Terah... It, it mentions him dying, and um, depending on what manuscripts and what age, it, it's possible that Terah was dead while Abram and Sarai was still in Haran. So what's it like? Imagine you're Abram. Imagine you're Abram. You're in this situation. What's it, what's it feel like to be Abram? You've left your homeland where your brother died. You left your li- one living brother back there. You'll probably never see him again. You've moved to Haran. It's not where you wanted to go. You're a foreigner there. You and your wife, you're unable to have kids. Maybe your dad has passed away. And you're stuck. Now imagine that as, as, the, as the husband trying to, and you're responsible for your dead, brother's ne- your dead brother's son, your nephew. I mean, imagine the frustration, the responsibility, and yet the, the stuckness, the, the sense of hopelessness. Here's Abram. Where am I going to go? How am I going to fix this? How am I going to get out of this? They're lost. Let's see what happens next. So the chapter divisions, they're added much later, and so the story just continues straight on into what we call chapter 12. And this is what happens. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. 
I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What happens is that God, God steps into Abram's story. God searches Abram out. God finds, he pursues Abram. He rescues Abram. And what was Abram doing at this moment to deserve this, to earn this? Did you catch it? It says Abram was fervently praying and God showed, no, it doesn't. It says Abram was on his way to church because he faithfully went to church or synagogue every, that doesn't say that either. It says Abram had lived a perfectly moral life and so God found pleasure. No, it just says he's lost. Actually, we, we do know a little bit more about Abram's situation. Um, you don't have to flip here. Let me just read this to you. Uh, we have a slide for it, though. Joshua 24.2. This is later on God um, speaking to Abram's descendants and describing, about, describing Abram and his dad, Terah. It says, Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abram, or Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, that's in Ur, and worshipped other gods. Abram was lost, and he was busy worshiping other gods. He was busy worshiping other gods. He didn't do anything to earn God showing up in his life. He was lost. He was lost physically. He was lost relationally. His hope for the future was lost. Spiritually, he's lost, and God shows up. God comes looking for him. God shows up and speaks to him. Why does God do this? What motivates God to do this? What drives God to do this? Have you ever, well, I'm sure you have. Think about a time you've lost something important to you or someone important to you. What did that feel like? This summer, I, uh, my family and I, we, we got to go, uh, we got to go to uh, uh, friends of ours from Hillcrest offered us our, a cabin for a few days. And so we, my family, we headed to this cabin over on the east side of the state and, uh, and we we're hanging out there. We show up there, and they're in the cabin, my family, and my wife and my two younger daughters, they're playing, putting stuff away, and I'm putting stuff away in the kitchen, and our oldest daughter goes outside, she's just playing outside, and when we had driven over there, um, the, the guy uh, we were, who had kind of lent us the cabin said, oh yeah, we saw a bear in the area recently, so nothing to worry about, and, okay, that's cool, maybe see a bear, and so um, my daughter, she's playing outside, and uh, swinging a stick and singing at the top of her lungs, I'm in the kitchen, and the screen door's open, and then some time passes, and all of a sudden... Uh, I, 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 you know, you come to your senses, I'm like, I don't hear her anymore. And so, okay, you know, I'll go, I'll go outside and I start walking around the cabin. I'm like, oh, I, I, you know, I, the first side of the cabin, I don't see her. And I'm like, I wonder, you know, maybe I shouldn't let her play outside by herself. We don't really know the area. She might wander off and turn around the back side of the cabin. I'm like, yeah, you know, and the bear, I mean, probably nothing would ever happen. But, oh, I guess she must be on the far side of the cabin. I guess I turned the wrong way. I get to the far side of the cabin and she's not there. And I'm like, uh, it, uh, where I wonder, did she get back somehow to the front? And I get all the way back around to the cabin to the, where I started, at the front door. And I can't see her, and I can't hear her. Have you, have you ever lost something important to you or someone? What's the emotion? Think about the emotion of that moment. It's powerful, isn't it? The action that drives, you want to do something. I, want, I need to rescue her. Now, it turns out she is just walking the other way around. The <laughs> we're, doing, we're doing this. So, yeah. But, you, I mean, it's a powerful, I didn't know that. I, and you feel this drive. 
How does God feel? How does God feel when he looks down at Abram, this man who he has created to be his son, and he sees him lost? He sees him stuck as a foreigner in Haran. His brother's dead. Maybe his dad's dead. Responsible for his nephew. Spiritually lost. Worshiping who knows what. How does, how does God feel towards him? His heart is moved. He's moved to step into Abram's life and rescue him. To find him. God's heart is, move, God's heart is love. And not just love abstractly, but active, moving love. And God doesn't go to Abram and say, Abram, you better clean yourself up. You better, here's a theology book you better study up. Abram, here's a, here's a list of rules you better stop following. Abram, here's an organization I want you to start. He just steps, he steps into Abram's life and he says, Abram, let's go on a walk together. Let's go on a journey. I want you to walk with me. We're going on an adventure. Let's walk together. Yeah, he wants to find Abram. He says, Abram, I want to find you in your stuckness and offer you a journey. Abram, Abram, I want to find you in your barrenness and offer you a people. Abram, I want to find you, I want to find you in the meaninglessness, your purposelessness, and offer you a name, an identity. Abram, I want to find you in your insecurity and your vulnerability. I want to be your safety. Abram, I want to, I want to find you in the small story that you're living, and I want to offer you a mission more wonderful than you can imagine. I'm going to bless all the peoples of the earth through you and your descendants. Abram, I want to find you in your idolatry, worshiping things other than me, and I want to offer you myself, the living God. God's heart is moved. He sees Abram, Abram in his lostness, and he is moved towards him out of active love to search him and find him. How does God feel when God sees a world lost? When God sees a world uh, of men and women that he has created to be his sons and daughters who have wandered from him. His heart is moved by active love to move towards them, to seek them, to pursue them. We've been going through Genesis 1 through 11 these last couple months. And in Genesis 1 through 11, we've seen this. We've seen that in Genesis 1 through 11, we get a vision of the world and its goodness as it was intended by God. But at the same time, we also get a vision of the world and in in its, in the way it's been harmed by human lostness. And we looked at different stories, the way that human lostness has harmed this place, the way Adam and Eve, uh, because of personal choice, have been lost from God and how every one of us finds ourselves in that story. Every one of us at one point has, been, has personally chosen to wander from the living God. We've seen the, the family losses in the story of Cain and Abel, how families get lost, how, how harm and hurt and violence breaks out in families. In the story of Noah, we, we, we see the, 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 the lostness of human violence in the world. And in the story of Babel that we talked about last week, we see this, the way, this corporate spiritual dysfunction, how people can encourage one another in their lostness. And scholars talk about how um, you could almost divide the Bible into two halves, Genesis 1 through 11 and Genesis 12 through Revelation uh, 22, and that this is a turning point here that we've seen in the first 11 chapters, the way this world is, is marred by human lostness, how God intended it, but the way it's marred. And then in Genesis 12, 
As God comes down to find Abram, he doesn't do that just for Abram, but he does it for the entire world's sake. He says, Abram, through your descendants, I will bless, I will find, I will rescue all peoples on the earth. God's rescue mission has begun. And as you read through the second half of the Bible, Genesis 12 through Revelation 22, the story winds and twists and turns, this, the story of the descendants of Abram, and until one day you come to his great, 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 great grandson named Jesus or Yeshua, who's claimed to be the Messiah, the descendant of Abram, the perfect descendant of Abram, who is also the Son of God. He is the one who can fully, in the, the, the story of God rescuing the earth, comes together in the story of Jesus because he is the descendant of Abram, who is perfect, who is flawless. And he is also God himself. The, the playwright has stepped on stage. The director has jumped into the movie. The author has stepped into the novel. And Jesus is here seeking out all peoples of the earth. And it's the story of Jesus, his life and his death and his resurrection. It's the story of God himself seeking out all, pursuing all peoples on the earth. Pursuing them, pursuing us, pursuing me into my spiritual dysfunction, my choice of, of making things other than God the center of my life. He's pursuing me to that. Pursuing us into the grave. Jesus runs ahead of us into death itself to seek us out there ahead of time that death may not have the last word in our lives. And in the cross, Jesus defeats sin and defeats Satan and defeats death itself so that we might be found with God forever and ever and ever. Jesus seeks us out. So this morning, I guess... uh, I would like us to take some time in the, in the worship to come and to, and to reflect on the question, how has God found you? How has he sought you out and found you? In forgiveness, in identity, in purpose in this world, setting you in a community, giving you a mission, how has he found you? A lot of times I teach on Sunday mornings, and, and I, like to, I like to challenge us intellectually and give us things to think about. But as I was, uh, as I was wrestling kind of through this idea of God's pursuit of us, I, 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 just, I came to a sense that really it's not so much to be grasped intellectually, but it's something to be grasped in our hearts. We're meant to feel it. We're meant to experience it. God has pursued you. How has he found you? Or maybe even this morning, how do you need to be found here and now? How is God pursuing you? How is he seeking you out this morning? Saying, I want to find you. I want to offer you a story. I want to offer you an identity. I want to offer you a mission, a purpose, more wonderful than you can imagine. I've come to seek you out. How is God seeking you out here and now? Our God, the God of Scripture, the God who chased after Abram, is the same God, the same character who chases after us in the person of Jesus the Messiah, who chased us in his life, his life perfectly lived, who chased us in his death, 
chased us to the grave, chased us in our sin, chased us in our death to rescue us and chased us in his resurrection that we might have life be found with God forever and ever. And ultimately, it's not just something to be lived up here. It's something to be lived here, to be experienced, to be felt. Jesus seeks us out. Let's be thankful. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I, uh, I recognize the challenge, particularly for those of us um, who have walked with you uh, for many years, uh, that you might grow com- familiar or comfortable. You might grow used to it. Um, Jesus, by your spirit, would you, would you move in our hearts this morning? Would you help us remember again how you've sought us, how you've pursued us, and how you've found us, where we would be without you, but where we are now because of you? Would you speak to us about how you continue to pursue us, how you continue to seek to find us in our lostness and our stuckness? Jesus, meet us in our hearts here and now as we worship. We pray this in your name. Amen.